Hey everyone, I'm Brenda and I'm Julia, and you're listening to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Your 20s are known as both the most exciting and most confusing years of your life. We're here to share our stories, to have real and raw conversations, and best of all, to make you feel a little less alone. This podcast was brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Do you believe? Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Roaring Twenties Podcast. Today we have on with us Kayla Quinn. She is a content creator, a blogger. You might know her from Ben Higgins' season of The Bachelor. And we're so excited to have her. We're going to be talking all things creativity, creating, lifestyle, love. Hi, Kayla. Thanks for being here. Hi, Julia. Thanks for having me, Brenda. Good to see you. Oh, my goodness. And there goes my cooking alarm. One second. You're good. You're good. He's a chef too. I didn't mention it. Seriously. Make it part of the bio. <laughs> now I need to know what are you making? Well, thank you for having me guys. Um, yes, I'm making a tortellini wedding soup. Ooh. Oh, that sounds amazing. Yes, with a little kale, bone broth, has to be healthy. So I'm excited. It's a new healthy. recipe. Healthy and delicious. Awesome. <laughs> so Kayla, go ahead, introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about you, who you are, where you're from, and how old you are. So I am originally from Cleveland, Ohio, but I moved around a bit growing up, went to BC, Boston College, studied marketing, and then somehow ended up in New York City when I never thought I would. I was never one of those girls. And now I work as a lifestyle blogger out of Brooklyn. And I'm engaged to my handsome, sweet, kind fiance, Nick Borello, and I'm 29 years old. Awesome. Yes. Oh, that is so crazy. It's it's so interesting to, I feel like we've had so many people from all different walks of life on this show and it's just helped our audience and ourselves. We talk about it all the time. We're like, we have grown so much since starting this podcast because of the people that we connect with. So we're really excited to get to know you. And I guess since you mentioned your blog specifically, what led you to actually starting it? So I, did the show um the bachelor like you guys said earlier in 2016 and when i finished i went back to my full-time job in marketing i was the head of a department for a fitness startup doing marketing in new york and i was blogging at night and it was my passion project and so i was juggling both jobs kind of for almost a year and i realized my passion project could be my full-time job and i took the risk to do it on my own and i loved that i could connect with women around the world and talk about about, you know, how do we find personal growth in simple everyday ways and also find self-discovery as we, you know, learn what love is. And, you know, my whole purpose for my blog and, um, and on social media is to promote vulnerability. And to me, it's really important that people realize that life is too short to wait to fall in love, whether that's with your job, with your purpose, with your passion project, with another person. It, it's about you know, finding what you love in life as soon as possible and going full force for it. Oh, I love that. I I definitely want to get into all of that and especially vulnerability piece on social media and stuff. But I'm curious. So when you made the jump from like your corporate job to doing your passion project full time, what was that experience like for you? Like, was there a lot of fear around making that jump? What were some of the obstacles you faced when switching over to doing this full time? Yeah, I mean, the switch was definitely a learning 
learning process because um, I, I, I never started my own company before. I had to, you know, start an LLC. I had to branch out. I was working on my own and had to really be a self-starter and wear so many hats at once. So it was really intimidating. And I got a lot wrong in the beginning. And I had to own up to my mistakes and be all right with asking others for help. I think that was the biggest thing I learned when I first started. For example, when I first started my blog, it actually was totally different. It was called monthful.com. And I, in my head, I thought this was such a good idea. I was like monthful.com once a month, I'm going to do try new things and it's going to help me discover who I am. But after three months, I was like, I'm going going crazy. I, you know, I became a fitness instructor. I, um, oh you know, God. I took coding classes. I, oh. I, I did all of these things for one month at a time, but it wasn't sustainable. Yeah. No, no, that's not sustainable. <laughs> it's interesting and hilarious, but definitely yeah. not way. And now no. I don't even other to the word. And so I had to be, you know, humble enough to just like pivot and be like, okay, I got to throw away this website, start over and, and figure out how to do this again. Yeah. That definitely is something that I can imagine is hard, especially people that are super ambitious like yourself um, and want to make an impact, especially when like your heart is tied into something and when it plays a role in your own self-discovery. So I'm curious in terms of like, what was the switch and relevant to us in our passion project like and a lot of people that really eventually want to turn what they love to do into their full-time job like what what was the turning point when you were like okay it's time well i think people have to realize that a career means making money you know you can't ignore the money. <laughs> and i think for me that's why i juggled two jobs at once one that i could guarantee that I had a stable income. Yeah. And the switch was when I realized my blog could pay for, you know, 60% or like I could save more than I earned. Mm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So covered my fixed costs. If you can cover your fixed costs to live, then it's a, a right career choice. For me, that's was my deciding factor. I think that's great advice. Yeah, no, especially if you live in New York, like there's so many people that take these big risks and are living month to month or, you know, and I, I think that that is amazing, but I think that only lasts for six months. It's like should only last for six months. You need to make money after that. Otherwise you're going to live in fear and you won't enjoy your passion project as your career. Right. No, that makes so much sense. And I think specifically when you had like kind of having to adjust and, and shift and pivot, like you said, what's your, what's your advice for people that are, you know, putting their all into something like you're, like you were doing with your blog and then not seeing the growth right away. What's your best advice for continuing to persevere if it's something that they're really passionate about? Well, I think if you feel in your gut something something isn't working, it's because it isn't. And so it might be a bad idea. Just like my first blog website, the name and the concept wasn't a good idea. And, and sometimes you have to let things go. And the best way to to get to know for sure, I think is to find a mentor um, and reach out to people who are doing what you want to do. And so whether you, like I DM'd a girl, her name is GoFitJoe. She's a blogger in San Francisco. And she was my aspiration when I first started my blog. And so I DM'd her and I said, can I treat you to coffee? Like, I'd love to pick your brain. And she was the one who was like, here's the mirror and this isn't working. And so I highly recommend trying to find a mentor who um, inspires you and can at least give you like, like five minutes of their time. 
Yeah, great advice. Yeah. So I want to talk about your content itself a little bit because you said before, I love what you said about like life is too short to not love like what you do. And you talked about vulnerability and that being vulnerable on a platform that can be so superficial at times, Instagram, the highlight reels, all that. Why was that something really important to you? Sorry, my dog. <laughs> um, okay. Important to you when starting when starting your blog and your Instagram and all your content? Well, well, the reason why vulnerability to me is so important on social media is because it is so rare to, to see. I think we, you're right, we see the highlight reel and vulnerability to me is something that comes really naturally. And in my heart, I was like, well, if I feel like I can talk about my deepest, darkest moments and like my insecurities and things I'm working on, you know, I need to leverage that to try and connect with other people because you don't know who needs to hear that and needs to feel like they're not alone. And so I'm really grateful. My mother and father taught me vulnerability from a very young age. They've always been transparent. If there was ever serious disagreements in their marriage, they were like, you know, they would sit me down at dinner. They were very logical about it and would be very open and transparent. You know, mommy and daddy aren't, you know, on the same page right now, but we're going to get back on it and we're working on it. And that always is gave me comfort. And yeah. And, and I think that transferred for me as an adult and I want people to know that they're not alone. Totally. Yeah. And that Kayla aligns so well with our mission, which is part of what we really wanted you to be a guest on this podcast is because we've noticed within people we've connected with, or honestly people, content creators that we've seen that vulnerability is that piece that ties us all together and makes us so much more connected. And like you said, feel less alone. So um, we love that you do that, obviously, because it's so aligned. And we just have found more and more that, that as we show these deeper sides of ourselves, it just like gives everyone else permission to say me too, or oh, I can do that too. So that's incredible. And in terms of being a creator, this year has definitely had some obstacles for all different types of reasons in 2020 and even into 2021. So we know a lot of creators are struggling. What's kept you creative? You know what, Brenda, it has been, you're right, a tough <laughs> Yeah. For creators. And the thing with social media is people can hide behind a screen and feel unfiltered. But the thing that has given me hope and inspiration is being able to take a break and step back mm. and recharge, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because I don't think you should share things on Instagram or social media that you don't really care about. Yeah. That to me is artificial. And so whenever I feel drained by my career, I step away and I think, you know what, it's not serving me right now, or maybe I should unfollow some people. Maybe I'm feeling insecure or comparing myself. We need to put our own mental health first, mm. no matter what your career is. And so for something as public as social media, I think it's very important to take care of yourself. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like, especially with like TikTok now and stuff, there's this kind of pressure to like always be creating and like always putting out like it it feels almost in a way of like if you're not putting out constant content then you're not relevant or someone who is putting out constant content is gonna cut like you know step up and that is a drain on creativity like that's not how creativity works it's not meant to be like muscled like that so how in, in saying that you've realized you had it you know sometimes you have to take a step back how do you deal with like the kind of mental game of that and the pressure of being like oh I'm not creating right now I should be creating because of this kind of like culture that's on these content platforms that is such a legitimate point and I have that fear sometimes too because you know there is such thing as the algorithm and if you don't post once a day in feed you will see a decline in views 
over a, a week's time. And you don't want that to, to affect your performance. We're in a society of winning, of course, and you don't want to feel like you're losing at anything. And so I think dealing with the rat race mentally, I try and anticipate it, if that makes sense. So I know my, like my emotional cycle. And so usually I try and curate batch content at the beginning of a month. And so there will usually be like five posts that are me in sweatpants or lounging around the house that are like spare posts or for filler days where I know if I'm not feeling that well, I can just put a Pinterest quote up with this photo and hope that touches somebody in some way or put up a quote that touched me. And yeah, I, I, that's the one thing I feel like I, I didn't grow up with cell phones, right? I mean, I'm almost 30. And so I feel like this younger generation who has TikTok and has all this pressure for unrealistic beauty standards and to constantly create, I feel like it's so unhealthy because people don't realize that followers aren't real people. Mm. I I like hate to say that, but if Instagram disappeared tomorrow, what people in your life are left or like, who are your connections? And that's why I always put my partner first because he is my real true life. He's all, he's everything to me. And I will never sacrifice our relationship for these artificial people who are just kind of, you know, numbers. Yeah, no, that was that was really well said. And I think that also I I just really love that you, you know, you you take advantage of when you're feeling creative when you're feeling good, as opposed to having this expectation. And I think that's where people fall into a trap is having this is expectation for others and for themselves that they're supposed to feel creative and feel on top of the world and motivated 100% of the time. And then when you don't, because we're human and we fall into certain, you know, maybe just literally wanting to lay on your couch one night and and do absolutely nothing, um, we have those moments. So to actually prepare and say, you know what, I am feeling on top of the world today. My creative juices are flowing. I feel inspired by this. Like, let me take advantage of that so that I have that leeway on days when I don't. Totally. And it doesn't mean it's not genuine on those other days. Of course, of course. You're you're spreading out your creativity. On On those days you're feeling super creative, you just like overdo it. I think that that's like also, you know, when we talked about that your career has to, your career is a career because it makes you money. Like that's the difficult thing when you're meshing creativity and career because yeah, there's certain things that you have to uphold if you want to make the money, but also that's, you know, creativity is not linear that way. Mm -hmm. And like, if you're going to create a career out of creativity, like, are you able to balance that? How are you going to set yourself up for success in that way? Yeah, it's just, it's, it's just so interesting to me because I'm an, I'm an actor. So the way that, but the way that I create is much different than like the way TikTokers create or people on Instagram create because it's like, and sometimes I get on myself. I'm like, well, why aren't you like, you know, creating in this way? And like, if you're not creating every day, like, are you a creator? And it's like, okay, no, like that's not your medium. Like Mm -hmm. know your medium. Totally. You know, thinking about a lot. Because there is this kind of like pressure of like, if you're a creator right now and that's your career, whatever way that is, like you need to be putting out constant content. And like, that's not- And not just not to contact you, like content, sorry. Um, I feel like people feel a pressure to- do constant content that's really, really like um, impactful. I know I feel that myself with our page, my own personal Instagram pages, like this idea of, you know, I I have a page that talks about mental health and I haven't posted in the past few days because I'm like, I don't think this version of what I'm saying is impactful enough. And it's, it's, then it's like, oh, well, that's not authentic to me because this is the way that I felt it or wanted to say it. So yeah, I think so many layers of that. It's between like wanting something that will really touch someone um, and wanting to put out the best version 
version of not even of yourself. I don't mean in photo ways, but like the best, most touching words, but to kind of switch gears a little bit, let's talk a little bit about love. What led <laughs> you it up as her first thing? I know. Oh my gosh. For starters, what led you to wanting to be on The Bachelor? So that is a, that is the beginning. That's the kind of the beginning <laughs> of where I started in all of this. And what led me to want to be on The Bachelor was I've always been what I call a hopeful romantic mm. instead of hopeless romantic. And so I believe in putting yourself out there. And I, I think the greater the risk, the greater the reward. And I thought, um, you know what, if I go to this, this like casting call and nothing happens and it wasn't meant to be, but if it was like, if, if something does happen, what a crazy story. I think, you know, there are people who are dreamers and there's people who are realists and I, and I am a dreamer. And so I went in there genuinely looking for love and to date somebody. And I'm so grateful that I went to this little hard rock casino in Cleveland, Ohio, and they picked me out of a lineup of 400 women. Oh my God. Yeah. That is so crazy. I just, I'm very interested in the whole thing, but that's a different (laughs) conversation than we're having now. But anyway, what is the biggest mistake that you were making about relationships and love when you were in your earlier 20s? That is a great question. I know the greatest mistake when I was dating was that I really, I thought I knew it all. I was kind of a love know-it-all. I thought I knew what love was, but I really was focusing on the wrong qualities. And I give an example. For example, the first guy I dated in high school, it was very you know, physical love. I, I personally think there's three versions of love. There's physical love, there's um, emotional love, which is deep. And then there's putting people on a pedestal, mm-hmm. infatuation. So those are the three. It's physical, emotional, and infatuation. So the first love of my life was a hockey player, really hot. He looked like, it was the time of the vampire versus the wolf. What was that movie? Twilight. <laughs> Twilight. And he looked exactly like the wolf. And I was oh. like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> but it was purely lust kind of love. And then the second love of my second guy I dated was um, I met on an airplane and it was emotional love. We, we connected and I thought fate was bringing us together. And so, and then went with on the show on the bachelor, that kind of love was purely infatuation because, you know, to me, infatuation is a kind of love where you have a crush on David Beckham and you're like, Oh my God, I love him about him all the time. He's my type of person. And you're not really based in reality. And so that was dating on the show because I, would spend more time thinking about him than spending time with him. So anyway, those are my three versions of love. And then when I met Nick, who I'm with now, I had all three. And that's personally how I feel, you know, it's true love. Oh, I love that. Yeah, that was so beautifully said. And and so, so well thought, Adam, which I'm sure you've obviously <laughs> reflected on all these things. But we see so many women between our friends and just people in their 20s in general that, you know, have varying ideas of what love is. And I think a lot of us based what we know as anything um, on experience and, and what we've experienced in our own lives. So sometimes people don't realize that there is more out there or more to be felt or all that stuff because of either what they see in the media um, or what they've experienced. So I think that's a really beautiful way of putting it. But now that you are engaged and we know you had to move your wedding <laughs> due to COVID, so sorry about that. Um, but what is the biggest thing that you've learned about love and relationships through your experience? Um. There's just so much. There's so many things. The thing I learned about love most 
with him is you need to have mutual respect for one another and you need to feel like equal teammates. And I have a very unconventional career that's very public in social media and he's a very private person. And so we, I still feel though that he supports me all the time. And, and when you do have conflict, you just have to create boundaries. So you still feel supported, if that makes sense. So for example, one boundary for him and I is um, he didn't like that whenever he came home from work, I had my cell phone out and I was recording, you know, Insta stories saying, look, Nick's home from work. I'm so excited. And, you know, to me, that was me sharing love with him saying, I'm so excited you're home like a puppy. But to him, it's, you know, I want to unwind. I just got off the subway for an hour. Why are you in my face? I don't feel like myself. And so that little boundary, we both adhere to it and we both feel supported. I love that. Me and Brenna always talk about love languages. Like we're very big on love languages. (laughs) Love it. And, and how, you know, the way you might receive might be different from the way that you give and like how much value can come from just like speaking about that, whether it's with your romantic partner, with friends, and like just really understanding how people give and receive love can really change any relationship in your life for the better. Totally. And we talk a lot about too, that so many people have a tendency to take things personally, because you're not aware of this love language, you know, if if you're affirming someone all the time, and they appreciate it, I'm sure, but they don't feel loved in the same way as if you know, physical touch, whatever it is, but we tend to interpret things as Oh, they don't love me the way I love them or something perfect like that. But it's really just no, not at all. It's just you receive it differently, or a situation has a different meaning. Um, Also, I'm reading this book, guys it's called attached have you heard of it no oh my god i just started it so i'm not that far in but like i think everybody needs to read it i'm sure i'm gonna talk about it on the podcast once i finish it but it's about attack it's about attachment theory and like the three different types of do you do you know anything about attachment theory no oh okay so attachment that's what like secure attachment? Yeah. Like briefly, it's there's like these three different types of attachments that people have. It's secure, insecure, and avoidant. And it's they usually come from like the way that you were raised, like as a baby, the way that you're like your attachment with your mother was, but it can also be influenced by like experiences in your life. And the book is all about the three the three different styles of attachment and like how you can come to understand like why people behave certain ways and like what is a good like match for you or um how you can deal with someone that has a different that you're in a romantic relationship with but has a different attachment style and it's it's mind-blowing I've read like five chapters and I'm mind-blown and you're clearly hooked (laughs) I'm hooked do you feel like it's helpful or hurtful because I I I feel like I'm a scary kind of attachment (laughs) You're, I really latch on. Yeah, you're definitely a secure attachment. Also, because you talked about your parents before, like you're definitely a secure attachment, which is a good, they're good. Like the book, what's good about the book is that they're like, none of these are bad. They just are. You know, it's not like if you're avoidant, which is the one that's like kind of the bad one, even though they say it's yeah. not bad. <laughs> yeah. That's the person that's like going to tell you they love you and then not answer your text message for seven days mm-hmm. um, because they're like afraid of intimacy. So they're avoiding you, even though they do love you. Um, it's so but the book says none of them are bad. That one's kind of bad. But um, <laughs> it's very interesting. No, it's not saying, yeah, it's, I, I would, I'm only like five chapters in, so I can't, you know, fully report. Well, it sounds so good. I would say that if you're interested in that kind of thing, it's- I really am. Interesting. 
<laughs> Go read it. Anyway, back, back to anyway. more important things. Um, you did mention before, Kayla, about um, especially with your fiance and like how you appear on social media. You know, we only see a certain version of you and of anyone on social media, and it's only a glimpse. It's only what you decide to share. So how and people can interpret that in all different ways, of course, based on their own experiences. How do you deal with people maybe misinterpreting you sometimes? Um, yeah, how do you deal with that? <laughs> <laughs> that it it's comes in, in waves. Um, how I deal with people misinterpreting me, I first try and listen and try and understand where they're coming from. And I think you can judge a lot by how people type things. And if they're coming from a place of kindness and like understanding and genuine, like a genuine place, I love to hear them out and respond kindly and, and want to understand things. And sometimes when people come at me with like an LOL, why would you post that um, with sarcasm or to kind of feel superior in the conversation? I will be honest, lately, I've been standing up for myself more, yeah. which I know isn't the best thing to do, be, but I am, I, I, this is where I'm coming. I'm being a little too vulnerable right now, but I no, you can never be too vulnerable with us. <laughs> Thank you. Lately, I've been feeling very defensive on Instagram, social media through DMS, because mm -hmm. I do feel like we are constantly attacked yeah. and it's constantly personal as well. It's, it's yeah. never, um, superficial and and I, and I do take things to heart. And so I wish I had a thicker skin, but yeah, when people misunderstand me, I try and explain myself, yeah. but, um, it really depends. My reaction really depends on where they're coming from. If they're coming from a good or bad place. Yeah, totally. No, I mean, I think that makes perfect sense. It's really, I can imagine like, it's really hard to, to feel like misunderstood, especially when you're obviously clearly so well-intended. And I think overall with people that follow you, I'm sure a majority of them have a really good idea of who you are and where your heart is, but things can just be so easily misinterpreted and the way people project things and all, all of that. So yeah, I personally think it's great that you're, you know, being unapologetic and, and that's something that we've been trying to do ourselves a lot. Yeah. Also, it's, you know, I mean, it, again, it's a whole nother conversation, but it's just, especially when you're saying that it's personal and not superficial, like it's, yeah. it's, it's still mind blowing to me. Like, I don't think as many people as we talk to as many times as I see it, I don't think I will ever understand, you know, well, bullying my, or my being mean to somebody. Yeah. Like, I just, I, I, I cannot get it. Like I, you know, it's one of those things that I'll never be able to get. Yeah. Well, I have personally two filters for people that I wish, um, you know, they would take upon themselves. One is if you wouldn't say it in person to their face, mm -hmm. you shouldn't type it. That's one great way to know if you, if you should be writing something. And then the second thing is your emotional state. If you're, if you are angry or sad, Instagram isn't the place to vocalize how you're feeling right away. Type it in your notes and then give it some time till you feel like you are level-headed. And then if that's still how you feel, then you should maybe share it. Totally. I, I, yeah, I think that's, I think that's really smart. And I, I hope that people do take that into consideration. Yeah. It is real, you know, it is real people that you're hurting. So. Totally. I think people forget that. Yeah. Um, but you've given us so many incredible tips, advice, in a look <laughs> into your heart and your brain. Um, so we just have a few more questions. And one of them is, is there something that people don't know about you? Um, like if there was one thing you could pick that your audience doesn't know about you? Um, one thing they don't know about me 
is, I mean, I don't know if people know this, but I have the biggest sweet tooth in the world. I do try and be healthy. And a lot of what I share on Instagram is healthy recipes and like working out and, you know, which I do try to do on a regular basis, but I, on the weekends will buy a six pack of like sprinkles cupcakes, or I'll go to the cupcake ATM and I will eat the whole thing myself. It's really bad. I have the worst sweet tooth. Nick (laughs) knows that sometimes during the summer, like at two in the morning, I will Postmates a key lime pie, a full key lime pie. And I'll eat it. it. Yeah. I go on sugar binges. (laughs) All about the balance. It's all about, (laughs) it is about the balance. Seriously. You can do your workout and you can have your key lime pie. I love it. Yeah, thank you. After <laughs> my own heart. I mean, another thing my, people might know about, not know about me that's less fun is I actually speak German. My dad's German, Irish, Swiss. And so I studied abroad there. I studied in high school. And ich spreche nur ein bisschen Deutsch, aber es war sehr, yeah. Anyway, I'm losing it. It's been a lot, but yeah, als ich ein im Universität war. There you go. Wow. I definitely would not have known that. <laughs> Hey, she really got the question right, you guys. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we, we, we were judgy on that one. We liked it. Yeah, that was totally. 10 out of 10. We'll give you a 10 out of 10 for that one. Thanks. Um, Kayla, do you have any daily practices, rituals, or routines that you do every day? Um, every day, I one of my favorite rituals I do every single day is I actually charge my phone in another room mm. I, and before bed. Usually an hour before bed, I will leave it in the kitchen or put it near the couch. And And it's just a way for me to detox from social media and to go to bed earlier. And then also in the morning, get up on time because the alarm is ringing in another room. Mm. Thanks. (laughs) Yeah, no, I've like totally struggled with that. I sleep literally right next to my phone and I know it's not a positive thing. So I admire everyone. Julia does the same thing and she does not touch her phone, literally, even if it's podcast related, anything. And I respect that boundary so much because it obviously makes a difference in how she starts and ends. Literally people cannot get in touch with me before and they know but that's you so healthy that expectation yeah like you set that expectation that like Julia's unavailable until this time and it's amazing yeah and then like lately it's been getting like a little bit later and later into the day I'm like oh it's okay you know I'm not available before nine so like it's fine if it's like 9 20 9 30 like it's it's like like and then eventually you're just not going to be able to get a hold of me at all that's I'm just gone that'll be so healthy though right (laughs) yeah it's my favorite time of day when I don't feel like I need to answer yeah good totally yeah Kayla you have been so incredible we just have two little last questions for you now that you are almost 30 if you could tell your 20s year old self one thing what would it be it honestly would be to enjoy life and relax more. I needed, I was so tightly wound in college. I was like, oh, I'm not going to drink too much. You know, just one margarita. You know, I wish I drank more. I wish I partied more. I wish I celebrated more and let my hair down. And, you know, I can't get that time back. So I guess I'll have to make up for it in my thirties. Yes. Never too late. Never too late. late. (laughs) Good advice. Good advice. And our last question for you is where can people find you if somehow they don't know where to find you or connect with you? Thank you. Yes. You, I would love to connect with everybody every day on social media. You can follow me on Instagram at Kayla Quinn spelled C-A-I-L-A-Q-U-I-N-N. And also on my blog with sharing affordable fashion, you know, lifestyle, wellness advice, and of course, everything from the heart. 
Yes, go follow Kayla. Her content is beautiful. It's positive. It's it just makes you smile. And she's she's out there doing it all. So thanks, Kayla, for being with thanks, us. Kayla. Well, thanks, guys. You guys are so sweet. I loved this, and I hope I can chat with you soon. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Roaring Twenties podcast. Be sure to rate and review wherever you get your podcasts, and please subscribe. You're never alone. Our pride sticks together. Tune in every Monday and Thursday for new episodes of Roaring Twenties Podcast. You get to start your week with us and end your week with us. With love, Brenda and Julia. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.